Amazing God. Amen. Now we're coming uh, toward Easter and we'll be talking more about this tonight. And everyone's attention is going to be focused on Passion Week, starting with Good Friday and all that. I mean, starting with, uh, uh, you know, just that week of the Passion Week and going up to Good Friday and then to Easter. And I want to, I want to talk to you this morning and I'll probably talk to you next uh, Sunday about Joseph, the story of a hero. And uh, right now you may be um, thinking, how in the world am I going to relate to the story of Joseph? Or how is his life going to minister to me? And you'll be amazed at how much you and I identify with this, with this man. Arthur Pink in his studies writes of him and said there's a hundred similarities between Joseph and Jesus. Now, I, I don't know I, I, where he gets all of that. But uh, he is a famous old-time author. Uh, but he is a type of Christ, and I know that in the Scripture. Next to Jesus, there's only two men in the Scriptures that there are no black marks written against him. One is Joseph, and the other is Daniel. And when you read about those men, you'll find out that there was no, absolutely nothing negative said about them. Now, for you that are students in the Word, and hopefully you're those of you that are still journaling and bringing your journals, let me give you the basic structures of the, of the book of Genesis because that's where we're going to be going. If you read Genesis chapter 1 through 11, it deals with four great events for those of you that are students of the Word. Chapters 1 through 11 will deal with four great events, okay? Number one is creation, intelligent design. I don't care what the world says. All of this just did not happen and uh, in, the, in the seed part of the Bible, the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, you'll find out about creation. Then you'll study about the fall, innocence, lost, paradise, lost. In fact, the whole book uh, starts in the book of Genesis with paradise, lost. And, and at the end of the book, it ends with paradise, regained. And, and the story between those, the, the losing and the getting, gaining again, uh, the, the, the access to the garden or, or to paradise, is all about his story, about the, Lord, the God's story. So you read about creation, you read about the fall, you read about the flood, you talk about uh, the judgment of God and how he brings judgment upon this world. Now, I haven't seen the movie Noah yet, but I also already know it has nothing to do with biblical. There was a flood, Noah did build a boat, but I think if you watch the movie, that's about where it starts and ends. The rest of it is all Hollywood, okay? And then fourth thing you'll read is the, tower about, is the Tower of Babel. Now, these four events you'll find in Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 11. What was the Tower of Babel about? Man's attempt to usurp God's authority. I'm going to do it my way. You think, well, we don't have, you know, we, we're not concerned about that today. Oh, yes, we are. Men have always tried to come some other way than God's way. Even today, everybody has philosophies of how they're going to get to God and how they're going to, what's going to wind up at the end of the, you know, and when their life comes to an end, they draw their last breath, how they're going to make it. Everyone in this building has a philosophy. And it either lines up to this book or it lines up to the Tower of Babel. You're trying to get there on your own. Chapters 12 through 50 focus on four great men. We'll share about one of them's life today. One was Abraham. It's interesting before the flood, God dealt with the world as a whole. For 2,000 years, God tried to deal with mankind. 
From Adam to Abraham was 2,000 years, and then he changed the way he did business with, with people. Now he tries with a family, a family who is going to grow into a nation that we call Israel today. So he said, now I, I, it really didn't work dealing with the world. Now I'm going to deal with a family. And he chose a man by the name of Abraham, and you'll read about him. Now, it's interesting, for 2,000 years, God dealt with a family. But since the cross, God has dealt with the individual. First the world, then a family or a nation, and now God deals with the individual. Whosoever will, let him come and drink of the waters of life freely. Everyone in this building is responsible on how you relate to God. Now, get this, though. Every 2,000 years, there's been a major shift or a change. He dealt with the world for 2,000 years. And then for 2,000 years, he dealt with a nation or, or a family. And then for 2,000 years, he's been dealing with the individual. That, 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 that 6,000th year is coming, and there'll be a major shift with the way God deals with this world. We're coming to the end of the story. So you better get your ears on and understand that, that things are, are going to change real quickly. You read of Abraham, you read of Isaac the son of promise. You'll also pick up with a guy, his brother, who was named with Ishmael, which is what we get when we try to work our own will in God's plans. <laughs> Whenever you try to help God work out a situation, you'll give birth to an Ishmael every time. Let that be a lesson to you. And then Jacob, the deceiver, whose life was changed through an encounter with God. You'll also read about his brother Esau, who had no spiritual desire at all. Then fourth, you read about Joseph. All of these men, uh, of all of these men, Joseph receives the most space. This should alert us, alert us to the fact that his story is no ordinary story. Now, some of you may be thinking, Pastor, how can we possibly relate to Joseph's story? He is a hero. Get this. His story did not start out that way. Here's what I want you to understand. All, in this building, God, how many really feel that God has a plan for your life? God's destiny for you is to wind up a hero. And like Joseph today, he didn't wind up being a hero. I mean, he, he wound up being a hero, but he didn't start out that way. Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 4. Let me, let's let's kind of break in on where we come into his life at. Now, Jacob dwelled in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Now, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So when you read the Bible or study the Bible, when you see the name Israel, it, it can also be pronounced Jacob because Jacob's name was changed. How many understand that? So as we go through here, understand, this is the history of Jacob or this is the history of Israel. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Billah. Now, I don't know, uh, they must have had a hard time with names back then. I don't know why they didn't stick with Jones uh, or, or Leroy or, or, you know, or Larry or Tom. It would have been a lot easier to, to read this stuff. The lad was with the sons of Billah. Now, you have to read Genesis chapter 30 to find out the rest of the story about this. This, this, this lady, Billah, was the handmaiden of Leah or of Rachel. See, they get into a little war about trying to, you know, trying to outdo each other with babies. They're trying to be a blessing to Jacob. And, and uh, so, so 
if when Rachel found out she couldn't have a kid, she just, she just gave, you know, Jacob her handmaiden. And so now notice these are actually the people he is with is, is actually his half-brothers, all right? And the sons of Zilpah, now that was Leah's handmaiden. So they get in a little war here about trying to get favoritism, okay? I want to make mention of that again, so you need to hold on to that. His father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to, of them to his father. Now Israel, our Jacob, loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic or a coat of many colors. But when his brothers saw that, their father loved him more than all of his brothers. They hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. That is an understatement. It was a war. Now notice, first thing I want you to understand and write this down in your margin of your Bible or in your journal. Though Joseph was God's man, he did not have an easy life. You are God's man. You are God's woman. You are God's youth. You are his, his, that teenager, whatever age you are here today, you, you can identify with this story. And I want you to identify with the story. How are things going for you? How are things going for you? Is it going good? Joseph, even though he was God's man, you need to understand he did not have an easy life. I used to think that when you got saved, your life would become easy. When I got saved, it got worse. And possibly you may have had the same experience because when I got saved, I realized that the, then the, the warfare of my, of my spiritual man and my, and my carnal man or my fleshly man really began to have war with each other. And so I really had a, a problem. To say that Joseph's family was dysfunctional is an understatement. Whoa, my God. Favoritism is a family curse. Brad was talking about family curses the other day. Favoritism was a family curse. If in your devotions you go back and read about his life, it started way back before Jacob. It started with, with Jacob's mom. It, I mean, it, it was, they were always choosing favorites. They were struggling. They were striving to gain favors. His family was dysfunctional. His brothers hated him. Joseph proves this. We can come from crazy, mixed-up families and crazy, mixed-up situations and do amazing things for God. So if you're here today and you're trying to divorce yourself from doing amazing things for God because the situation that you come from, the situation of your past is this, that, and the other. You better learn from things from Joseph. That nobody could come from a worse mixed-up family than this young man did. And yet he trusted God. He put his faith in God, and he began to just put one foot in front of the other, and God blessed him and took him to the place where he wanted to be. The life of Joseph teaches us how to trust God when in the pit of despair. What are you going to do when you're in the next pit of despair. Genesis chapter 37, verse 24. His brothers hated him, and so when he went to take them food, instead of them welcoming him, what did they do to him? They threw him in a pit. Not only did they throw him in a pit, they had a party afterwards. He's in the pit, and they're having a party. They're eating and carrying on and, and uh, having, having, a, having a party while he was in the pit. So it teaches us, how, while we're in the pit of despair, what do we do? It doesn't really say what Joseph is doing down there. It has nothing negative to say about him. So I'm realizing he's probably there. Even though he's wrestling with fear, he's not getting out of the will of God as far as his emotions. Amen? 
The life of Joseph teaches us how to deal with sexual temptation. Genesis chapter 39, verse 12. Yeah, it talks about Potiphar's wife and how she plotted. And he, he was a handsome young man. And so uh, it, it shows us how to deal with te sexual temptations. And there, sometimes there's no easy way of dealing with that. You just got to you just got to do whatever you have to do to, to avoid it, right? I was listening to Chuck Swindoll this week. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, notice what Jesus said about, about temptation. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, do what? Pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And so Chuck Swindoll was laughing, and he was saying, this is not saying that you're to do this literally. He said, if it was, every man in this building would have one eye. <laughs> and half of the women in this building would have one eye. But he's saying, use whatever drastic terms you have to do to get away from that. Amen? So he's saying, and that's exactly what Joseph did. He ran. So his life uh, teaches us what to deal and how to deal with sexual temptation. Uh, number three, his life teaches us what to do while you wait on God. Genesis chapter 40 and verse 23, he has forgotten. When I, he, after, after Potiphar's wife accused him of, of rape, he's thrown into prison. He meets a, a butler and a baker there. He interprets her dreams, and they tell him, now, look, it's going to be all right. When we get out of here, uh, we're, going to, we're going to remember you. And for two years, he was forgotten. I don't know how long he stayed in that prison, but we know he stayed there over two years. And it teaches us that while he was waiting, he continued to trust in the God that, that he served. What do you do when God puts you on hold? Listen, what you do and what I do when God puts us on hold determines our future. Sometimes when God puts us on hold, we just kind of get to squirming and doing, you know, it's kind of like what Abraham and them did. They give birth to an Ishmael. They get, get, they get involved rather than wait on God. They get involved trying to help God out. And whenever we do that, we always make mistakes. So his life teaches us how to, what to do while you wait on God. And then his life teaches us how to see the hand of God in everything that we go through. Sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes that's so very difficult to see the hand of God in everything that we go through because not everything we go through is pleasant. Up to this point in his life, from the time he was 17, basically very few things were pleasant for him. But in Genesis chapter 45, verses 7 through 8, notice what he says. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth. He's talking to his brothers. And to save your lives by a great deliverance. Verse 8, so now it was not you who sent me here, but what? In the situations of life, sometimes if you, if you will look and see through spiritual eyes, you can see the hand of God moving. Now, he probably didn't know that. It wasn't a revelation to him then when he was going through that. But at the end of his story, the end of his life, he looks back and sees it was the hand of God moving him to the place where he wanted him to be. And so the revelation came, though it was my brothers that sold me, though my brothers that betrayed me, I wound up being where God wanted me to be. Now, sometimes that's hard to say. How many knows that all things work together for the good to them that love God and that are the call according to His purpose? Have you read that? 
you have to learn how to see God's hand in the things you're going through. Joseph did not know. Secondly, Joseph did not know how his story would end. Now, we have the, we have the, uh, see, we've read the story. We know how his story ends. But he didn't. And so when we read his story, because we know the, how it winds up, we think, well, it was a cakewalk for him because he knew where God was. No, no, that's not true. He did not know, even though he had a dream, even though he had, you know, he had an inkling that he, he was going to wind up somewhere, he had no idea how he was going to get there. And he lived his life just like we do ours. I have a question. How much did he know about his future when he was 17 years old feeding his father's sheep? Nothing. He'd had a couple of dreams, but he didn't know at 17 how God was going to do what he was going to do in his life. When he was thrown in the pit, what did he know about his future? Nothing. He didn't know he was going to be sold as a slave. When he was in prison and forgotten, how much did he know about his future? Nothing. He did not know. For all he knew, he was going to be in that prison for the rest of his life until somehow God got him out. He did not know. Let me put it this way. How much do you know for certain about what will happen to you this coming week? Nothing. We don't know. That's how this young man was living. I'm talking about Joseph being a hero. How did he get to be a hero? He lived his life like you and I need to live ours. We live today. We deal with the issues of today. We plan. We, we, we do all those things, but we leave the results in the future in the hands of God. We do not know what's going to take place next week. Yes, we've made plans. We've got calls to make. We've got things to do. We've got projects we're going to start. We've got projects we've got to finish. But the truth is you and I do not know what's going to take place. This could be the last week of our life. And that's the truth. We don't know. We should read Joseph's story the way he lived it, one day at a time, with no clear idea of the future, but his trust was simply in God. And that's the way you and I need to live every day of our life, and then we'll eventually get to where the God is wanting us to go. So Joseph did not know how his story would end, secondly. And thirdly, God is really the hero of the story. God is really the hero of the story. What we should take away from this story is our God is able, no matter what we go through, your God is able to sustain you. He is able to keep you. He is able to, uh, to, to lift you up. You know, when you've been thrown into the pit by your brothers, a small God won't do. A small God just will not do. When you've been falsely accused of rape, an average God will not sustain you. How big is the God that you serve? When you go through some of these things, I'm telling you, a small God won't work. When you and I, you know, when you and I have been forgotten in prison, a medium God is not going to work. You're going to have a big, you need a big God. You and I do not, do not serve a small God, but one whose purposes span generations. God's purposes for you spans generations. It doesn't end here. It started with your 
fathers. It started with their grandfathers. God spans generation. His, his plans don't just start and end with you, but it continues to go on and on and on. Why? Because he's a big God. He knows the beginning from the end. He's Alpha and Omega. You can't go so far back in the past that you won't find him there. You can't go any farther in the future that you won't find him there. Why? Because you serve a big God. Don't reduce God down to the size of your circumstances. You cannot put God in a box. God cannot be stopped by the deeds of evil men. Or I don't care how many atheists come against God. That does not reduce God. God is still God, and he's going to do what he wants to do, whether they agree with him or not. God is God. God's ways are past finding out. Our minds cannot fathom uh, what God has got planned. We serve a big God. Now, listen to me very carefully. If you can trust him, let me give you some facts about God's guidance. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 is my, one of my favorite, uh, probably the most favorite scripture that I have, that, I, that I, I, I quote it often. Trust in the Lord, what? With all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In some of your ways, are you reading it? In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and then what will he do? He shall direct your path. Now, let me give you seven facts about the guidance of God. If you'll put this to practice in your life, I'm going to give you seven things about the guidance of God in your life, okay? Number one, God can put you exactly where he wants you to be. (laughs) So, I've got to be worried about, you know, I've got to, I got to really watch what I do and make all these right. I, God's able to put you exactly where He wants you to be. Some of you might be wondering, well, am I, am I on court? I'm telling you, God can put you exactly where He wants you to be. Why? Because you're trusting in God. Secondly, God can arrange all the details years in advance. <laughs> God's plans just didn't, you know, He's not going... Oh, oh, well, oh, wait, uh, uh, you did that. Oh, my God. Uh, he did that. I didn't want him to do that. I wanted him to do, uh, oh, my. He, he didn't. He already knew what you were going to do. He didn't take all those choices you made, whether they be smart ones or dumb ones, God knew you was going to make them. And years in advance, he arranged all the details years in advance before you ever lived them. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't, it's hard for us to grasp that, but I'm telling you, he knew what Joseph was going to go through. Now, Joseph didn't know, but God did. And he, it, it did not take him by surprise that his brother stood him in the pit. Didn't take him by surprise that they were sold to slavery. Didn't, didn't take him by surprise that he was going to wind up in Potiphar's house. Didn't take him by surprise that he was going to be thrown in prison. Did not take him by surprise, but God was rearranging every step of his life to get him where he wanted to be. God can get you exactly where he wants you to be. God can arrange all the details of your life years in advance. God can open doors that seem shut tight. (laughs) You think, how in the world is this going to happen? I don't know. God does. He said, I'll open the doors and I won't allow men to shut them. And he said, "I'll, I'll shut doors no matter how hard men try to open them. Uh, they won't be open. That's the God we serve. We serve a big God. You, you can't outthink him. 
you can't bring, get him by surprise. He can open doors that seem shut tight. God can remove obstacles out of your way. <laughs> How am I going to get through this? How am I going to? Hey, God can do it. God can remove the obstacles. God can take your choices, number five. God can take your choices and then fit them into his plans that you end up at the right place at just the right time. Isn't that an awesome thing? God can take, of all things, your choices. We've all made some dumb one. And in the process of time, <laughs> God gets us to work with hospice. Who'd have thought? God knows. When you trust in God, you just stay faithful, trust God, don't, don't get upset. Amen? God can take your choices and fit them into His plan that you end up at the right place at just the right time. Number six, God can even take our mistakes and bring good out of them. Woo! How can that be? You're here and you're young or old or whatever, somewhere in between, and you think, oh, man, I have blown it. God can never, God can take your mistakes and take good and make good out of it. That's, there, I mean, I could tell you, you probably know people that has Nicky Cruz from the streets of New York crossing a switchblade. Who would have thought that guy would have ever amounted to nothing? He was in, a drug addict in gangs and all that other stuff. But now God turned his life around, took somebody out of the, out of the slums of New York, and now made something out of his life. Chuck Colson, the hatchet man of the White House, Nixon's White House, goes to prison. And out of prison, uh, he, he starts one of the, the, the greatest prison ministries ever. Take somebody. God just specializes in taking your choices, fitting them into his plan that you end up at the right place at just the right time. And even takes our mistakes and brings good out of them. Number seven, God can take tragedy and use it for your good and his glory. I am amazed at the God we serve. How can you relate to the story of Joseph? Oh, my God. How can you not relate to his story? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. Let me give you this scripture. A man's heart plans his way. I'm going, to do, I'm going to do thus and such and so. But the Lord directs his steps. <laughs> you just think you're living life on your own terms. If somebody's praying for you, and somebody's got you, and, and, and uh, I tell you, uh, you just think you're out there on your own, I'm telling you, God's going to take the, the dumb decisions you've made, and if you'll hang on to God, I'm telling you, he, he will get you to where he wants you to go on time. Do you know, and I have a question, do you know why you were born? <laughs> Sometimes we find our calling early in life. Often the revelation doesn't come till later in life. You know how old he was, Joseph finally was before he got to his destination? 30 years old. Started out at 17. My Father in heaven. 13, 14 years of hell and chaos and wandering. Often revelation doesn't come till later in life. Sometimes others see it in us before we see it ourselves. Potiphar saw the hand of God in Joseph's life. That's the reason he made him the, uh, the master of his house. 
He recognized it. Joseph's just going about his business, but the favor of God was on his life. And Potiphar saw it. Sometimes it's revealed to other people before we see it. Often the circumstances of life reveal it to us. Joseph's life fits this. For many years, he never knew his purpose. And for many years, he never knew where God was taking him. Get this. This is so interesting. It was only after a series of events happened, nearly all of them outside of his control. <laughs> and many of those experiences was painful. That the plan of God became clear that he was where God wanted him to be. People ask me, how can I discover the will of God for my life? Answer is, you can't. You know, I know, boy, I can see a bunch of you. I can hear the gears grinding right now. How can I find and discover the will of God for my life? You can plan. You can train. You can develop your gifts, and you should. But it should be put this way, and you put this down to your memory. God's will discovers you. God's will finds you. Yes, you you plan. Yes, you study. Yes, you train. I'm not saying that you're going to do that. Yes, I'm saying that you, you have an idea of what you think God wants you to do. But I guarantee you, in 99% of the cases, God's will finds you. The little shepherd boy was anointed king of Israel. And you know what he did? He didn't go to be king. He went back to the desert and started tending sheep like he always had. Why? Because it, it, God's will found him. Yes, it was God's will for him to become king, but it was also God's, God's uh, responsibility to get him to that place. So he goes back to tending sheep, and in the process of time and events in his life, he winds up being king, but he didn't start out being king. God's will found him. God's will, in most instances, is not a sunburst. Oh, cool, the will of God. Most generally, it's a sunrise. Gradually, over a period of time, God maneuvers you and takes you into his will. So it was in Joseph's life. In closing, and Steph, won't you come do a little bit of music? How can you relate to this story? This story is for you if you come from a broken home. This story is for you. If you come from a dysfunctional family, this story is for you. If you don't get along with your brothers and your sisters, you have a hard time in your own family, this story is for you. If you were abused, this story is for you. If you've done some jail time, this story is for you. If your family doesn't understand you, this story is for you. Can we identify with this story? In most cases, when God chooses a leader, He chooses a leader that has been tested.
God gets his best sailors off the stormy sea. Those who have gotten their faith off the drawing board into the processes of life. So how's life going for you? Can you identify? Can I encourage you today? I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what you've experienced. It doesn't divorce you from being used of God. It doesn't. Joseph's life proves that. Read the story of his life. Being hated by his family, his brothers, thrown into a pit, into slavery, being accused of rape, thrown into prison, and on and on the story goes. What is required of us? You keep trusting God. You keep trusting God. And God will take you to the place where He wants you to be. Don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. You've been going through some negative situations. Hey, live it a day at a time. God's taking you to where He wants you to be. You can trust God. Stay calm. Stay focused. God is taking you into the place where He wants you to be. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bow before you. We bow before you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy that is extended toward us. And we ask you today to, to encourage everyone under the sound of my voice. I want you to encourage them. No matter what, I know some of them are experiencing tough times in their life. Some might be going through uh, adversity physically and, and maybe going through a relational problems, all, all the issues that go with it, family. Uh, some of them may be going through just this time of trying to get their life back together in an order. Whatever their situation may be, I'm asking that you will take this word that I've shared and encourage them today that, God, you are able to take something negative and work something positive out of it. And that you are in the process of taking us all to where you want us to be. We're going to trust you with all of our heart. We're not going to lean to our own understanding. But in all of our ways, we're going to acknowledge you. And that your promise is that you will direct our path. We'll wind up being where you want us to be on time. Encourage everyone. Those that may think today that they have been uh, separated from accomplishing something for you. I'm praying that you'll encourage them today. There, there, there is no situation in life that will, that will divorce them or separate them from winding up uh, doing something good for you. In your awesome plan for our life, 
we can all do and accomplish what you want us to do. Encourage our folks today. Encourage them today, I pray. In Jesus' name.